midwife calling. Hello and welcome to Poplar Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast. I'm Jan Moffat. I'm Dr. Paul Moffat. Not that kind of doctor. And this is a podcast where we recap every episode of Call the Midwife one by one without spoilers. I forgot to say that before I said my name. <laughs> <laughs> this week we are talking about the seventh episode of the second season of Call the Midwife. Mm-hmm. This episode was directed by Minky Spiro and written by Harriet Warner. Harriet Warner has written a couple of episodes of Call the Midwife before and she'll write more. Uh, we'll see her again. She wrote uh, the fifth episode of season one, which is the one with Peggy and her brother Frank. And she wrote the second episode of this season, which is the one where Cynthia doubts herself. This is Minky Spiro's first episode as a director, but not her last. All right. So let's get into our recap of the episode. I'm just going to mention the three plots right off the bat. Four plots, maybe? <laughs> uh we have a man named Mr. Lacey who has diabetes. We have a woman, a, our pregnant woman is Monique Hyde. We also have Fred and his motor scooter, as well as Chummy's Return, <laughs> which is a little connected to those. Uh, so the recap is Mature Jenny narrates about the Thames. The nurses decorate for Chummy and Peter's return, and Jane is nervous about not being needed, but reassured. Fred arrives with a motor scooter for carrying gas and air, much to the joy of the nurses and midwives. Sister Monica Joan answers the phone to a wife in labor and quotes poetry before taking down the name. Sister Evangelina and Cynthia arrive to a very angry Mr. Lacey to test his pee for diabetes. His sugar is too high and he he needs injections twice a day. In the clinic, Monique Hyde is made uncomfortable by the other women and then examined by Jenny. She talks about her husband working at the docks and about Mrs. Bailey, who lives next door. Sister Bernadette receives tea in the sanatorium, not opening a letter from Dr. Turner. The man himself waits in the kitchen and asks about Sister Bernadette, finding out she's writing to the nuns. Scenes go back and forth between Mr. Lacey and Monique Hyde. Cynthia arrives to give Mr. Lacey his shot, standing in the way of him hitting his wife. Cynthia helps her clean up and talks with her about a pub, finding out she was once homeless and her child is not Mr. Lacey's. Cynthia discusses it with Sister Evangelina, who tells her just to do her job. (laughs) Meanwhile, Jenny goes to visit Monique Hyde, hearing complaints from her neighbors about the coloreds arriving off the boats. They discuss her home and compare experiences of Poplar. Trixie visits Sister Bernadette at the sanatorium, bringing her a note and a dead butterfly from Timothy Turner. (laughs) Sister Bernadette is clearly still very conflicted. So the... It seems like the central theme of this episode is all about belonging, feeling Mm. at home, being at home. I'm not sure where... uh, mature Jenny's narration about the Thames fits in with that. I'm not entirely sure either, only that Monique's husband works at the docks and they were brought, you know, by the Thames to... Yeah. It's, I mean, because of... Because the Thames is right there in East London, more people immigrate... Right into East London. Right into East London. But, like, that's... It's very... It's an odd narration to have at the beginning of this episode, I, I agree. And the end of the episode, to, I mean, we haven't gotten it to, to it yet, but she'll kind of tie, at the end of the episode, she'll say, like, a river isn't just water and a home isn't just where you live. Mm-hmm. But, like, it would have been nice if that home idea was put here at the top, because the whole thing is about belonging and where you belong and yes, where you feel absolutely. like you belong and where you feel like you don't belong. Um, do you want to... Like, we have, well, maybe maybe we'll start with this plot that I don't think does quite fit with the belonging theme, and that's Fred and the Scooter. Uh, 
have to start with that because it is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the like the best moment. One of my highlights of the episode is Sister Evangelina walking by in the dark and Fred like on the scooter making multi motorcycle noises. <laughs> vroom, vroom, vroom. What are you doing? Um, just testing the shocks. Yeah, yeah gets exactly. off. All embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> he's like literally going vroom, 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 like I know, a little he's, kid on a coin operated exactly he is very much a child when it comes to this motor scooter and it's one of like this is one of Fred's ventures where he was you see him at the very beginning of the episode he's down at the docks and he's uh, found a motor scooter he's bought a motor scooter off of someone for who knows how much probably a deal because he's going to fix it up and it's just another one of Fred's and I guess, things. Actually, I said I didn't see how it fit with the theme of belonging, but uh, it ha- fits with the theme of Fred wanting to appear to be a certain kind of person. Because yeah. his sense of himself and how he belongs is he's the one in charge of the scooter. He's the one who knows how it works. He's going to teach them all how to do it. And we see already... I'm not giving away the end of the episode, and we've all seen the episode, but by the end of the episode, we'll know that Fred doesn't know anything about the scooter, but we see already by his, like, vroom, 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 that, like, his sense of himself is not, uh, is not gelling with how he thinks people are seeing him. Yes, And there's this conflict between he wants to belong in a certain way, and he doesn't feel like he is. Mm -hmm. And that is... Brings to, I mean, that's basically what's happening with the idea of Chummy coming back. To... Yeah, Jane is very worried about because she's been living in Chummy's room and is like happy to give it up. We found out, we found out, find out in this episode that Chummy and Peter's old apartment has been condemned, and so they'll conveniently have to live in Nanetta's house for a while, which is always nice because <laughs> when we have little, Chummy back, it's a little plot convenient, but it also is. Uh, a trouble for Jane, who was living in her room, who had kind of taken the place of Chummy when Chummy left. And she's concerned that she's not going to be wanted anymore because yeah. she's Jane and she's so sensitive and she doesn't want to be in the way. But of course, they're the sweetest people and they're very nice to her about it. And I, they're reassuring. I really like that they say that all out loud mm-hmm. and early and then don't deal with it. And then it's dealt with. Yeah, exactly. Like, I felt like that needed to be said and it makes so total sense that Jane would be uh, anxious about it, even if she wasn't a very anxious person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we have, uh, but then Chummy coming home, that that is about, like, she's about to, she's going to come home because yes. she's going to come where she belongs and does Jane belong and etc. Mm-hmm. We have Sister Bernadette, who isn't where she belongs. Yes. She's off in the sanatorium. Yeah. So, yeah, throughout this episode, it's a very slow burn on Sister Bernadette throughout this episode, is that she is in the sanatorium, there's letters from Dr. Turner, and she's not reading them. She has this letter that she keeps, like, staring at. And, and this not... nurse keeps teasing her about it, and being like, so, hey, what's going on with that? And she's just not saying anything. Sweet Sister Bernadette is just... She is so contemplative at this point. You say letters, but I think it's all just one letter. I think he sent her mm, one letter that she hasn't letter. answered. You're right. Just one letter. And we hear like him talking to Trixie about it. And Trixie's like, oh, she sent so many letters. And he's like, oh, she's writing back to you, is she? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, then he's all a flutter about it. Well, everything's tickety-boo here. Yeah. Like, tickety-boo? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's again exactly. about like the sanatorium isn't where she belongs and Sister Julian is praying at the beginning for the continued recovery of Sister Bernadette because the sanatorium isn't where she belongs because she isn't where she belongs. Mm-hmm. It's like, also about home and uh, being where you belong. Yeah. So let's get into the kind of the main plots of our of our episode, which is the, the sense of belonging for... Monique Hyde. So she's black. She's from, I think, did you say Jamaica? 
I, the islands. The islands. The recap just says the West Indies. The West Indies. Okay. So I don't know if we're told I, more I feel specifically. like I thought she said Jamaica, but that might be conflating it with a different show I watched. So anyway, she's from the West Indies. She is... Uh, there, she is uh, in a place where England is was very present. Yeah. So she was aware of England. She has this English China. She has a mother who talked about England, and she arrives in the West End, in the East End, and it's n- not like that. Yeah. It's not this idealized England. English garden, and everyone sits around drinking tea. Exactly. And she, of course, is discriminated against in the East End. We have her her neighbor, Mrs. Bailey, uh, <laughs> loudly complaining about the coloreds moving in. Like, you know, it's very much a go back where you came from kind mm-hmm. of attitude that's happening here. I just laugh when you say Mrs. Bailey because Jenny says, rumor has it that she has a heart of gold, though one would probably need a post-mortem to prove it. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, and like she's not shy about saying about not wanting Mrs. Hyde around or about why she doesn't want Mrs. Mm-hmm. Hyde around. And she kind of kind of claims to speak for her neighbors, which yeah. she does. And by the end of, the, of this episode, it's clear that she is the one speaking, being the loud racist to the other quiet racists. Yeah. You know, like she is loudly declaring things, but she's uh, saying, you know, we all think this, we all think that. Monique and Jenny have this conversation about the tea and the English garden and they can kind of compare their comparisons of poplar are almost similar mm-hmm. that we have Monique coming from so far away and she has this ideal England and it's Jenny who grew up in that ideal England. Both of them are meeting up in the East End and comparing notes of like, well, this is not what I thought was a place that people lived, that people lived like in England. Mm-hmm. You know, this is different than I expected. And they yeah. bond over that. Yeah, it's interesting that Jenny is no longer, like from the show's framing, Jenny's no longer the outsider so much. But here we're, she's back in the position of being an outsider so she can bond with another outsider. Yeah. I mean, I can relate to this i've you know we we live in a place that is five thousand kilometers from home and uh i when i meet someone who's also not from here from away uh, there's just a sense of bonding that i have with them that's like hey isn't this odd about here ever do you ever feel left out of conversations because of this or you know or even like now we've been here 10 years lending my wisdom of like, oh, when I first moved here, I didn't understand this. Do you understand this? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> this is something you need to know, <laughs> you know? And Jenny, uh, Mrs. Hyde, there's six of them in a room. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jenny's like, why do you all live together? And Mrs. Hyde says, it's hard to find a place that'll rent to us. And Jenny looks all confused. Yeah. Until Mrs. Hyde's like, because of the color bar. Yeah. Ah, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. It's like, it's another little moment of uh, naive Naive Jenny, Jenny, yeah. Who just like, still walks through the world with rose-colored glasses half the time. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. Speaking of rose... I was going to say, speaking of rose-colored glasses, uh, the, the Lacy's, but actually even other... Speaking of roses... Sister Monica Joan answers the phone and the man <laughs> says his wife's name is Rose and she like spouts poetry. She re- she quotes My Pretty Rose Tree by William Blake. Mm-hmm. Um, and like it's a moment of Sister Monica Joan being uh, like walking this line between dementia and eccentricity. Like in this moment she's yeah. just being a, a bit of a weirdo but she is lucid and is obviously seeding what's going to happen later in the episode Mm -hmm. but uh the poem that she quotes a flower was offered to me such a flower as may never bore but i said i have a pretty rose tree and i passed the sweet flower o'er then i went to my pretty rose tree to tend her by day and by night but my rose turned away with jealousy and her thorns were my only delight and it's a poem about about again 
that I think speaks to the themes of the episode that like it's about you have your he uh the speaker has his home that he's expecting to go back to and uh then when he comes back to it it's all thorns mm-hmm. he doesn't he's un- offered a flower that he rejects so he can go home to his rose which then is only thorns because it's turned away because he rejected it and he's like doesn't have either of the flowers because of assumptions of where he belongs or doesn't like i feel Hmm. like it's speaking it's connected to the episode yeah sure that's interesting but uh do you want to talk about john and annie lacy they have first names i hadn't actually noticed that (laughs) (laughs) they do john and annie john and annie um yeah i mean he's horrible (laughs) he's very mean and cruel to his wife uh, and in a very typical Sister Evangelina way, she storms in there and, like, gives him what for, and gives Cynthia what for, and then she swans away so that... Uh... <laughs> yeah, the moment when she's like, you're gonna get injections twice a day, and Cynthia's gonna give them to you, bye! <laughs> yep. Yep, exactly. But, like, thanks a lot, Sister Evangelina. <laughs> but it's, I'm sure it's because she... Used to do that stuff too. But I do feel like their story is very central to this episode. This is mm-hmm. kind of this idea of this home that they've made for themselves. And that uh, we hear early on that uh, Mrs. Lacey was homeless. And he took her in. But he's still bitter about it. Yeah. And we see that. I mean, we see that expressed more directly later in the episode but early in his behavior that mm-hmm. like like when uh, sister evangelina and cynthia are talking about it later and cynthia's like is it i can't believe even if you were homeless you'd put up with that and sister evangelina's like you might be surprised if you spent a week living on the streets you might be surprised what you would put up with yeah exactly and that like he's bitter about it we definitely see that that is true later but even earlier whether he's bitter about it or not like he takes her in they have a home together Mm -hmm. and the idea at the beginning here is that well any home is better than no home Mm -hmm. that like yeah he's mean yeah he's uh aggressive and abrasive and Mm -hmm. and uh demeaning but any home is better than no home. Mm-hmm. It's very similar to that episode in the first season with the woman who gives birth to the black baby, yeah. where she, you know, is like, I didn't marry him out of love. I married him because I needed someone. I needed to be married to someone in order to survive in this world. And this is another case of that. And that case, he was so kind. And mm-hmm. it's like, if he wasn't kind, she'd still be have to be married to be somewhere Mm -hmm. yeah exactly and he expects her to be the you know proper kind of wife who's going to take care of him no matter how he treats her yeah sister evangelina and cynthia are talking about it later sister evangelina says we don't have hollywood endings here Mm -hmm. we just do our jobs we just do our jobs and that's like i mean We've said this about a million times already, but it's the attitude we see from all the nuns and less from the midwives mm-hmm. that, like, we don't have Hollywood endings. Sister Julianne would have phrased it differently, but she has the same attitude that, like, we can't change what happens. Yeah. Or we can't change the situation. We can only do our jobs, mm-hmm. care for people in the ways that we can, and... Yeah face the world that it, that we are in. Mm-hmm. So Mrs. Lacey is excited that her son Bob will be visiting home from America soon. Fred gives driving lessons to the nurses using chairs and sticks instead of the real thing. Sister Evangelina later calls out Fred in private for not knowing actually how to ride. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Lacey dress up for Bob's visit, but he doesn't arrive. Jenny brings Monique some flowers to cheer her and finds her in false labor. Jenny makes her promise to call when she's in actual labor. 
Mrs. Bailey tells Jenny not to call on Monique first, but to prioritize the white ladies. Dr. Turner and Sister Bernadette think about each other, him in the car with Timothy and her still refusing to open. Shut up. Him in the car with Timothy and her still refusing to open his letter. Sister Evangelina teaches Fred how to drive the motor scooter, speeding along and talking about how she drove one during the war. Bob finally arrives with his snobby fiance in tow. They have tea with Mr. and Mrs. Lacey, and she is obviously extremely uncomfortable. Mrs. Lacey gives her bonnet, one, the one that was once Bob's, but his fiance leaves it behind, causing Mrs. Lacey much distress. Ugh, this fiancé is terrible. Oh, she's the worst. Can I talk about them first? Sure, let's talk about that first. So we have her son, Bob, is off in America. Mm-hmm. He sends her this radio. He does. To, to do, to, she can listen to, to uh, American radio. And so that, you know, like they're so poor that a radio is a big deal and that's hard to wrap my mind around to be honest yeah like they get a radio you get a radio and it's a big deal and yeah. like it's a hand crank radio exactly so carried around wherever she wants this he says uh listen to not radio from america because of course you can't actually right. listen yes in london to radio from america but there was a weekly 15 minute program presented by alistair cook who I I know best for hosting Masterpiece Theater. Oh, yeah. And because Cookie Monster hosted Masterpiece Theater (laughs) as Alistair Cookie. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But Alistair Cook hosted a weekly 15-minute program, Letters from America, that was just, like, about what America is like. Right. And so the idea is that she can listen to that and know what America is like and Mm -hmm. think of Bob. And then he's coming home. Yeah. And she dresses up all fancy, and and even Mr. Lacey dresses yeah. up, and he's demanding about it, but he's excited, too, that Bob is coming home. And they get all ready to go in these nice outfits, and then he doesn't show up. Yeah. And then he doesn't show up until the next day, or I think it's the next day. Yeah, or and they're not And they're not in their fancy clothes anymore. No. They're just in their regular schlubby clothes. It's like... First of all, we know by the end of the episode uh, that, and we kind of got a clue before, that uh, Bob isn't John's son. Mm-hmm. Like, Cynthia acts all surprised when she hears this, but Cynthia did hear from Annie that, like, he took us in. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so uh, Bob is Annie's son, not John's, but we see, and there's some, like, bitterness there that we see. Mm-hmm. But we do see, like, John also getting all dressed up and so excited that Bob is coming home. It's like this moment of humanizing for him. I feel like that he's mostly terrible in this episode. Mm -hmm. But this moment, he's like, he's just as excited and just as hopeful and just as disappointed. His disappointment turns into, like, anger, angry bitterness. Yeah. Whereas Annie's turns into, like, despondent sadness. But he's just as disappointed when Bob doesn't show up as mm-hmm. she is. Mm-hmm. It's like jerk. Yeah. <laughs> um, Bob doesn't show up, and it's this theme again of like, "Where's your home?" Mm-hmm. and "Who? Where do you belong?" And yeah. they're waiting for him because they want to see him because he's their home, and there he doesn't show up because he tells you how he. How they rank in his important, yeah, in his estimation. It's like the, it's a little bit reminds me of the episode. I can't remember how long, how long anything was, but the with the, what's her face who inherited the pub, and she comes home mm. and her dad is like, "You think you're so high and mighty, and you went away." It's like, yeah. this is again. He actually does think he's so high and mighty and went away. Yeah, that was literally the last episode, by the way. Oh, was it? Yeah, Julia and her father was the last episode we watched and recapped. Well, I can't remember (laughs) because we watch it and then I edit the previous episodes we've talked about. So, um, 
Um, so when he finally does arrive, a big thing is he's his accent has changed. Yeah. And it's not, he's gone to live in America. His accent hasn't turned to American. No. It's turned to upper class British. Yeah. So he's, he lost the Cockney, but he didn't lose the Britishness. No. And he uh, like, he's not, I mean, the way they depict it, he's not the worst. No. He is like what people always accuse people of on this show is like putting on airs and thinks he's better than where he came from. Like yeah. he really is that. Yeah. But his fiance is the worst. Yes, absolutely. She's awful. She's awful. She's... And I mean, it is a thing where like she is putting on an American accent. I mean, the actress <laughs> is the yeah. actress is British putting on an American accent. And there's something about that sometimes that like everything has to be exaggerated when you're British putting on an American accent. And so she's just like extra exaggerated, horrible. Yeah. I think that has something to do with it. And has a little something to do with it. Those but also... People, I, that place was a hole. Yeah, exactly. And those people. Yeah. But on the other hand, she is awful. And she obviously has him under her thumb. Like you get the impression that they would have been there yesterday if not for her. Yeah, and then that when like, they get there, they want he wants to yeah, stay she wants, and she wants to leave Yeah, she right wants away. to leave before they even see them. She's just like, well, they weren't here. Let's go. Yeah. You know, so she's, yeah, she's awful. She's meant to be awful. And it's interesting because there's the two different things happening in their relationship and in their story, right? Mm-hmm. One is like you said about has changed his accent and he's dressing fancy and it's like he's doesn't belong there anymore Mm -hmm. and we could say i was judgmental about it and saying he's putting on airs and snooty but like even the most charitable reading he doesn't belong there anymore yeah it doesn't fit him anymore Mm -hmm. and that's the case for so many people who who move away from especially from a small town or a small place and like even if your accent is the same and your clothes are the same going home to where you grew up you don't fit and belong there anymore and they would just make that very Mm -hmm. uh literal yeah. But then, so there's part, that's the like theme of belonging. But then there's also the like going on with their story, a mirror of uh, John and Annie's relationship where like she, he is going to be under her thumb in a parallel way, not the same, not manifesting in the same way, but in the parallel way to the way that his mother is under uh, John's thumb mm. because he he thinks that she that she's controlling and she he thinks that she, they both think that she is better than him that her yes. family is better than his family and so she's giving him a new home and taking him in mm-hmm. in the same way or in a parallel way to the way that john took in annie is like the difference between being an east london cockney and a snooty upper class american is the same as the difference between being homeless mm-hmm. and being in a shop in East London. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure the other thing I notice about this is I'm sure that the Lacey's raised Bob to leave. Mm-hmm. You know, they raised him like he's clearly you know, gone off to America to make something of himself and succeeded. And I'm sure that there was a part of that that, like, you want your child to do better than you did. And so there's, like, it's hard when your child comes home and has done those things. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and especially... And Mr. Lacey is upset that, you know, oh, they're getting married, they're going to get married in America. They, oh, that's so heartbreaking when they're like, we can bush- book the parish hall. And yeah. they're like, no, 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 we have a lovely place. And it, <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, <laughs> but then like, oh, maybe we could travel. And then uh, John just puts his foot down. He's like, nope, I'm too sick. Can't travel. Can't do it. Yeah. Even though Cynthia will say yeah, his health doesn't he stop him from traveling. He could travel. But mm-hmm. no, because he feels rejected. So he's going to reject. Yeah. And he calls, he says to, he says, you know, I have a nurse coming in, you know, my own nurse. 
Yeah. It, this isn't... Cynthia's not his nurse, but he is trying to put on a little bit of airs in front of Bob and his fiance. Yeah. Do we ever hear her name? I so can't remember. I did not write it down. So <laughs> I didn't I feel like <laughs> <laughs> She probably does, but I can't remember. Um, yeah. So we've talked a lot about the Baileys. Let's go back to talk about Monique a little bit. She, uh, Jenny arrives. She's in false labor and Jenny's like, you said if you thought you were in labor, why on earth did you not call me? I still, you, what you said about uh, John claiming that Cynthia is his private nurse to like impress Bob and mm-hmm. to impress Bob and his fiance, and also to make himself like for his own self. That's yeah. how bad I am is the way he puts it. It's not actually, he doesn't say it because I'm so rich. He says, because I'm that sick, mm-hmm. but just is exactly what Mrs. Hyde is afraid people will think she's doing. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. They're like, it's the exact inverse. Mm hmm. She doesn't call when she actually needs a nurse because she's afraid that her neighbors will say that she has her own nurse. Yeah. And that she's already taking more than she deserves for nothing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And this is where uh, Mrs. Bailey is like, you need to see us before you see her because who knows what kind of diseases you might spread from her to us. Which is yeah. ignorant at its best. And uh, and Jenny has this, you know, retort of how <laughs> she'll, I will visit her last and then I'll have a chance to sit down with someone who's civilized and have a conversation. A real conversation. I wrote down. I don't know if that brings, helps. <laughs> Jenny brings flowers for Mrs. Hyde and she brings the thunder for Mrs. Bennett. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Bailey. <laughs> um, Bailey. You're not wrong. But also... I think that, I don't know if Jenny's attitude helps entirely. No, I wouldn't imagine that it would. Yeah. Um, and lastly, uh, Sister Evangelina teaches Fred how to drive the motor scooter. Let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah. One One more. Th- oh, sorry. Not lastly. We can talk about that, but that's not lastly. Okay. <laughs> Sister, but of course, Fred, like it came out and we knew this already. Fred doesn't know how to ride a scooter. He's getting him like making the nurses prance around pretending to signal like walking around the chairs. It's hilarious. And they're all just doing it. Yeah. And they're all like, so especially love Jen. Like you see the nurses walking around pretending that they're uh, riding a scooter and signaling and walking around the chairs and you see the attitude between them because uh, uh, um, Jane is like trying, really trying her best and kind of not quite getting the Ooh. signaling perfectly and uh, Trixie is like flouncing and stopping to fix her stockings and like not taking it very seriously and Jenny is like following all the instructions and doing everything exactly as she should and signaling very clearly and walking you're like <laughs> It's a it's a kitchen it's a kitchen chair you're walking around yeah. like this is all ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. And then Fred can't ride a scooter and Sister Evangelina's like She calls him out on it. More theory? Well you have to have the theory. You don't know how to ride that thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh mercy. The image of Sister Evangelina in those goggles riding that scooter with Fred behind her is just beautiful. (laughs) It's fantastic. I absolutely love it. And then when he's like, if anyone sees me behind you like this, excuse me, you know, riding. Can we make out that I was teaching you? And she's like, sure. (laughs) Yeah, sure, whatever. (laughs) I don't care. And I love that the reason why she knows how to use one is because of World War II. Yeah. She was going around in one in the Blitz. She was helping out, and that makes total sense. Yep. That she would have learned then. It's beautiful. I absolutely, absolutely love it. Um, Before we leave this section, two things. One... There's this moment of Sister Monica Joan digging mm, in the garden. Yeah, I didn't have to actually have that in my recap, but... It's just like yeah. a, you know, 10-second scene, so mm-hmm. it's, and there's no plot to it, really. But it's 
Sister Monica Joan is digging in the garden, and she's saying, I'm looking for the keys. Buried beneath us are the keys. If I have the keys, I can get out. Mm-hmm. And that, like, she's imagining that she is locked in. Mm-hmm. And it's not important for the plot. It's not even really important for her plot. Uh, except that it's, like, again about home mm-hmm. and about where she belongs. And early she was answering, only a, a midwife can answer the phone. And earlier she answered the phone, capable, knew what she was doing. And Sister Julianne's like, only an uh, on-call midwife can answer the phone. And she's like, I forget exactly what she says, but she has something that means like, I'm here and I can do it and get off my back. Mm-hmm. right? So at the beginning, she feels and is acting like she is totally at home. Mm-hmm. And she belongs here and she is doing her the work that needs to be done competently, even. Yeah. And then here she's, like, trapped. Yeah. And trying to escape from somewhere she doesn't need to escape from. And Jenny, like, takes her by the arm and leads her back in. And is mm-hmm. like, I don't want to leave. And you don't want to leave either. Mm-hmm. And it's... Uh, yeah, it's kind of a heartbreaking moment. It is. It is. Um... And we'll come back to it again, uh, that uh, that Sister Monica Jones story at the end. Mm -hmm. The last bit in this section, though, I wanted to talk about is Dr. Turner sitting in the rain thinking of Sister Bernadette. Oh, yeah. Timothy says, are you, (laughs) says like, someone said you used to sit in the car in the rain. (laughs) You used to sit alone in the car after mom died. And he's like, oh, (laughs) Looking like a sheepdog without a sh- any sheep. Mm-hmm. He says, he used to sit in the car after mom died, looking like a sheepdog without any sheep. And here he is just sitting in the car in the rain mm-hmm. with Sister Bernadette not around. Misses her. And not answering his letters. It's like, the relationship is escalating without them even being together. But mm-hmm. this moment of like, him sitting in the car in the rain as he did after his wife died... Because he's missing her and pining for her and like, yeah. it's like, changes the nature of their relationship again mm-hmm. as much as nothing to a kiss on the hand changed it. A kiss on the hand to sitting in the rain in a parallel to how he reacted when his wife died is yeah. like, oh, what this relationship is, is, is different from what. Mm-hmm. It keeps intensifying. Yeah. Absence is definitely making the heart grow fonder. And she just still doesn't answer his letter. Doesn't nope. even open it. Doesn't even open it. So moving on to our last bit here. Monique helps Mrs. Bailey on the stairs and tries to talk with her about working together. But it's not quite enough to break down the walls between them in front of the other neighbors. Sister Julienne comes to visit Sister Bernadette. And they discuss her desire for another path. Not wanting to be a nun and they discuss the difficulty of the journey ahead. Cynthia talks with an angry Mr. Lacey about his wife, Mr. and Mrs. Lacey fight about who is taking care of whom, and eventually Mrs. Lacey dresses up and leaves to visit Bob at his hotel. Fred teaches the nurses how to ride the scooter as Chummy and Peter return from Sierra Leone. Chummy is pregnant. (laughs) She brings them all gifts, including Jane, and while they are partying, Sister Monica Joan answers the phone to Monique in labor. She fails to take the message properly, and Monique goes around begging her neighbors for help as Donata scrambles to figure out who might have called. Mrs. Bailey sees Monique's water break and helps her walk to Donatus. She makes it there just in time to have her baby delivered by all the midwives in the foyer. Sister Monica Joan prays and cries in the chapel while Sister Julianne comforts her. Later, they all gather around a fire discussing Chummy and Peter's time in Sierra Leone. Mature Jenny narrates about home being the center of a heart. As Mr. Lacey makes a meal for Mrs. Lacey, Monique's family share in the joy of her baby with their neighbors, and Sister Bernadette finally reads the letter from Dr. Turner. So let's start by wrapping up Sister Monica Joan, because that's where we ended. Mm-hmm. At the end, I mean, I said she starts off answering the phone and that's seeding what's going to happen at the end when yeah, she answers the phone, phone and doesn't know what 
And is confused and says, sorry, we're closed. Sorry, we're closed. And she doesn't take any notes. And they say, she says her mind is uh, uh, fraying like a rope. Mm. And that's what reminds her of Rope Street. Yeah. But especially at the end, when she goes to the chapel and she says, forgive me, Lord, and protect us all from these devils that plague me. Mm-hmm. And this is like, and Sister Julienne uh, comes and hears her and says, there are no devils here. Mm-hmm. Your mind gets tired, that is all. And when you do, we will protect you. Yes. We will be with you and make sure that when you forget, we will remember. And I just like from the moment of her digging in the garden, trying to find keys, trying to escape to like, we will be with you and protect you. Mm-hmm. So there's the moment in the episode that was most uh, touching to me. is this mm-hmm. moment of her like, Forgive me and protect us all from the devils that plague me. And Sister Julianne's just like, we're here. Yeah. And we'll protect you. I think it's a beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. And it's about home. And it's about where you belong. Mm-hmm. And throughout this whole show, Sister Monica Joan uh, remains this constant of, she's difficult. It's a yeah. difficult situation. She is not helpful and she can no longer be but from the very first episode sister julienne says it is our privilege to take care of her and that's that's the thesis of the of sister monica joan that's just how they deal with her is that is the privilege to take care of her because of all the work she did when when she was younger years sorry finish what you're saying and and so in it doesn't go away Mm. is the thing in so many shows you know you have a problem and you solve it in one episode but this is just sister monica jones uh mental health and dementia and eccentricities are not solved by this she's not just because she messes up once and does this phone call wrong doesn't mean she's not going to mess up again in the future she is a it's she's like a real person who like Mm-hmm. This is where this show really gets me in a lot of ways is the re- the realism yeah. of she doesn't get magically cured. She's not going to magically change because of this mistake. She's going to keep on being this and they just have to deal with it the best way they can. And I really appreciate you saying that she she's difficult. Like it's mm. not just trivial. Yeah. Like, this was a big deal. Yeah. Her answering the phone wrong and, like... It could have had much worse consequences. It basically turned out okay, but it could have been terrible. Mm-hmm. And their response is, like, it's still our privilege to care for her. Mm-hmm. Even though it is clearly so hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... Yeah. Do you want to talk about uh, the Lacey's? Yeah. So, because, yeah, this basically just just, uh, finishes up the Lacey's where uh, he continues to be a grumpy grump. (laughs) And, but finally, Mrs. Lacey stands up for herself. And she tells him, you know, I had life before you and I can continue to have my own life and she gets stressed up and she goes and sees Bob at his hotel. The moment in that exchange that really gets me, the the line that really gets me is that you took us in and I'm grateful, but I've given far more than I've taken. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that, like, that her gratitude doesn't mean lifelong servitude. Lifelong servitude. I've given far more than I've taken. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful to you. And what's the subtext of that? That I think he gets the subtext. But I'm grateful to you. Are you grateful to me? Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> she's not saying she shouldn't be grateful to him. Yeah. Right? But like I've given more than... She's not denying that she's taken. Yeah. But I've given more than I've taken. And I'm grateful to you. And are you grateful to me? Mm-hmm. And she goes off to see Bob on her own terms. Yeah. Like... Side note, 
gee whiz bob's hotel is swanky yeah fancy pants <laughs> like <laughs> i just compared in the when you go straight from east london to like it's like the swankiest setting we've seen on the show except that pool that they broke into with yeah. uh jimmy <laughs> yeah it's true it's true um i like like it's definitely a thing where like when people are kind or like do something for someone without any sense of uh, humility, then all they want is gratitude and no gratitude is enough. Yeah. Yeah. Is that he went out of his way once to help someone and look at how much he helped her and and look at how great I am forever. Yeah. There's no sense of ever making up for that because there's no humility in it whatsoever. And so nothing she can do nothing she can say will ever show him that she's grateful because it's just selfish and that's where like what changes him is not making him recognize how grateful she is it's making him recognize how grateful he should be Mm -hmm. that like it's not there is his appetite for uh being thanked is endless his like no matter how much gratitude she gives him, it never matches his, yeah, how much gratitude he thinks he deserves. Mm-hmm. But the like, I've taken more than, I've given more than I've taken. Mm-hmm. And then he makes a meal for her. It's not that, I mean, it is kind of a uh, low bar and. Yeah, it's a big but, deal like, for it him. It is a big deal for him and it is like symbolic. Exactly. Like if this was a real marriage i would hope for more than one meal once but (laughs) as symbolic token for the show Mm -hmm. like he is she's been cooking all along and he's been not appreciating what she makes for him and like Mm -hmm. so making a meal for her is like he has started giving again yeah he gave once (laughs) and we've seen little seeds especially in the him dressing up for bob that like he gave once and he's a bitter grouchy angry man but i think that he gave genuinely was mm-hmm. right and he loves her on some level as well like they are married level. and yeah and he ends so there by is that. kind of realizing mm-hmm. I, I like that ending a lot yeah wish them luck <laughs> yeah um chummy and peter return let's just mention that chummy is pregnant of course uh <laughs> adorable about it Oh, we brought some extra luggage. Um, <laughs> and she gives everyone presents, including, including Jane. Jane, because she's been in touch with Jane's boyfriend. Oh. <laughs> um, and yeah, exactly. She gives everyone presents. She's she gives Sister Monica Joan this little drum, and Sister Monica Joan just like walks away drumming it, like I got a drum. It's I'll so beat funny. a path to my room. I'll beat a path to my room, exactly. Uh, and she says, just uh, she beats a path to her room. And she stops to say, like, and I'll give a warning: beware the future. What? Right? Yeah. What's up with that? I don't know. She's, I, I think it's showing that she's not in her right mind, and that's yeah. immediately before she answers the phone, and she's just not in her right mind. Yeah. She's just struggling. But anyway. Um, yeah, Chummy and Peter relate their whole, like, story of Sierra Leone. They tell stories later on around the fire. They're... Uh, There's nothing funny about the whites of a lion's eyes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or an elephant's derriere in reverse. <laughs> Of course. And like, you know, oh, are you sad your adventure's done? And they're like, no, we've got adventure around the corner. They've got, you know, their babies on the way, mm-hmm. which is exciting. What about Monique? So Monique goes into labor. She tries to call. Sister Monica Joan hangs up on her. Sorry, and we're closed. Sorry, like, we're closed. And, and she's... of all people, of all people. Exactly. Of all people to say that to. She says it to her who like just feels like okay well then i guess i'm on my own you know she doesn't know and she had to be convinced to call in the first place exactly oh it's really heartbreaking so and she goes she knocks on doors she knocks on her neighbor's door and 
at first they're just like, you know, go away. And finally they, Mrs. Bailey takes her to Anata's house because she has a heart. We see her heart of gold. It does not take a postmortem. It just takes a moment of need. Exactly. I love, by the way, they're like, I'm in labor. Call the bloody midwife. That should yeah. be the title of the show instead of Call yeah. the Midwife. Call the Bloody Midwife. Sorry. It's true. I mean, like we've heard that well, like more than once on this show. Call, the, call bloody the Bloody Midwife. midwife. <laughs> uh, I mean, she takes her. She's like, you know, they get there and Mrs. Bailey gives them all hell of like, where were you? Yeah. <laughs> and she said specifically, like, that moment is maybe even better than her taking her. Her, like, oh, shut up to all her neighbors when she mm-hmm. gets there. And she's like, where were you? A respectable woman needed help. Yes, she calls her a respectable woman. Yeah. That was very good. Yeah. That was impressive. That was great. Um, Telling them off on Monique's behalf is yeah. better than... I love, I love, though, she gets there. She's in, like, the entranceway to Nanata's house. And everyone is there. Yeah. Every single midwife, every single nun, they're all gathered around. And so she has everyone. She's supported by this entire community The only of one midwives. who leaves is Sister Julianne, who goes to help. Who goes to help Sister Monica Sister Joan. Monica exactly. Joan she says that she's well in hand. Mm-hmm. She, and she is. I mean, she's probably the luckiest woman in Poplar to have that many <laughs> midwives present at the, what seems to be a pretty normal birth. And, and was, you, you said not in the uh, the umbilic- there was a weak heartbeat because the umbilical oh cord yes was, that's true but then they solve it easily they solve it easily um I was gonna say you said that it was it turns out fine that Monique because Monique makes it there but also it's not fine she had to walk in yeah. active labor you're right to the house it's actually it's not really fine you're right that the sister Monica Joan made that mistake it turned the baby turned out to be okay. But it was not a healthy situation for Monique. It was not a good labor. Yeah, Yeah, it was not a good labor. Good point. But they get the baby. They deliver the baby. She gets the baby. She's happy to be in England. You Mm -hmm. you met the nicest ladies in all of England. She says, and she's uh, her child is home. Yeah. Exactly. Because this is his. This is his home. Home now. Her? I don't, I don't know. I, don't I said. I don't. I know feel like it was told. a boy, but <laughs> can't remember. <laughs> um. Is there anything else we haven't talked about? To? Sister Bernadette. Oh right, of course. Sister Julianne goes and talks to Sister Bernadette, and nothing in that conversation I think is surprising. Mm-hmm. Nothing. There's nothing in that conversation that we haven't seen coming. Yeah, but it's even like, that Sister, Sister Julianne knows what's coming and has to. She basically has to lead Sister Bernadette by the hand to have her actually admit it. Mm-hmm. That Sister Bernadette tries to talk about other things. She tries to ask her about Anata's house, and Sister Julianne is like, "You, you could have written. Tell me? tell me what you need to tell me that then <laughs> couldn't be in a letter." Have you ever heard the like a thing? It's a, it's a mean prank, but a, a thing to do to. Someone you know and love is to say, is there something you need to tell me <laughs> to, to start a conversation with that? But then, <laughs> I don't see what happens, but it's like, you called me, mm-hmm. there's something you need to tell me. Yeah, exactly. And we saw her, uh, we saw Sister Bernadette like looking at Dr. Turner's letter and then she says, I need a, to arrange a visitor. And we're like, is the visitor going to be Dr. Turner? Yeah, but no. it's a little fake out there. It's Sister Julienne, because she needs, she says, I want things I can't find in religious life. Mm-hmm. I've been lying to myself and to you. And to, and to God. And to God. I like that Sister Julienne says in this part that, like, you're in a time of doubt. I've had doubts. Mm-hmm. That, like, she's not... They don't portray her as this perfect nun that's never doubted. Of course she's had doubts. Yeah. And they all have. You don't enter into that life without, with pure clarity. Well, and not just enter, but you don't, like, live your entire life without doubts. Exactly. And that the difference between, like, one of the things, too, that I'm glad they bring up, and it would be so difficult, is, like, are you... I didn't know if I was losing my faith. Mm-hmm. 
I didn't want to be a nun anymore. And she doesn't quite spell it. I mean, she does. I didn't know if I was losing my faith. But, like, I didn't know if I wanted to be a nun anymore. Does that mean I don't want to be a Christian anymore? Mm-hmm. Does that mean I don't believe in God anymore? Yes, exactly. And she's like, no, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. But it does mean I don't want this anymore. Mm-hmm. And, like, that would be very hard to discern yes exactly and sister monica jones when she's i mean and sister julianne when she's like i've had doubts that like has she had doubts about being a nun or about god yeah presumably both Mm -hmm. right she says you're you're this is the first step down a difficult road yeah don't start down it if you don't actually want to go down it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it reminds me, it's, it's a weird comparison, but it reminds me a little bit when our daughter, I don't want to say her name on the podcast because privacy for her, but she has a long name and we used to call her by a short name. It's a weird parallel because it's not at all the same. <laughs> we used to call her always by a nickname. She said, I want my name to be my long name always, not my nickname anymore. And I was like, don't say that if you don't mean it because mm-hmm. you can't, Go back again. If yeah, we're not going to go back and forth. And tell all your teachers that, like, this is your name now, is your long version. You can't go back. It's like a tiny little version, <laughs> but it's like the same. Like, if you start leaving, uh, don't come back. Yeah. Like, she doesn't quite say that bluntly, but, like, if you're going to leave, don't come back. Mm-hmm. So be sure you mean be it. Be sure you mean it. You can't be wishy-washy about religious And she life. does mean it. Mm-hmm. And after that conversation, where we it is clear that like I am going to stop being a nun, mm-hmm. then she can she allow herself to open the letter. Doctor Turner's letter, mm-hmm. and we see home is not simply a mark upon a map. Uh, is the what mature Jenny says? Mm-hmm. Sister Bernadette opens Doctor Turner's letter because maybe she is getting a new home. sorry yeah i mean like home is who you love and yeah she's loves him i don't mean to say that like i uh like their relationship but also it really is like it's a profound Mm -hmm. and emotional moment for her to open this letter like i don't mean to diminish it no 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 i understand uh so what is your favorite part of this episode Fred pretending to ride a motorcycle. (laughs) That is so funny. And he's so ridiculous. What is your favorite part of this episode? Um, it's hard to say. I don't love this episode. Like, it's good, but I don't, like, it doesn't really have a lot of parts to stick out. I think Chummy's return, just seeing Chummy come back. And them all being excited to see her was exciting. I'm yeah. glad that Chummy's back. I love her so much. And yeah. So basically, that's my choice. All right. If you want to talk to us about this episode or any episode of Call the Midwife, you can contact us by email, poplar at Clockworks Academy, or you can find us on Twitter at Poplar Opinion. Or our own Twitter accounts, which you'll find notes for. You'll find links to in the notes and whatever. Uh, Especially, we are nearing the end of Season 2 of Call the Midwife. And just as we did after Season 1, we would like to have... We would like to hear birth stories. And... uh, I'm all out of one. I only had the two. Yeah. So, some other people have got to speak up. (laughs) Yeah, so if you would like to share a birth story, you can send it by email, as I just said, to poplar at Clockworks Academy, either a recording of you telling your own story, or uh, if you have it written, Jan will read it, I won't. Uh, And we would love to hear some birth stories to have between seasons of Poplar Opinion. Absolutely. If you like this show... Please do us the favor of rating and reviewing it, giving it a good rating and a good review, (laughs) especially on Apple Podcasts, which is the one that mostly podcast 
everything everyone else gets their data from up apple podcast so that'll help people find the show and we'll appreciate it and we would also if you like the show and if you like the show you also can support us on patreon patreon.com slash clockworkscast uh and that'll help us keep going and making more shows which we would like to do absolutely i've been jan moffat i've been paul moffat and that's just my popular opinion.